the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, as we said during the announcement time, we're going to be taking up the topic of the virgin birth today, which we gladly confess week by week, that he was born of the Virgin Mary. And we gladly confess that what of the virgin birth. And most of us, because we know the creed as well, we know the how of the virgin birth, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And yet, very often we might not be right at the top of our minds the why of the virgin birth why our savior was born of the virgin so we're going to be taking up that topic today under three points we're going to be talking about that he was born of the virgin mary first of all as a sign that he truly was as to answer the question of john the baptist from last week the one who was to come second of all he was born of the virgin mary so that he would be cut off from the inheritance of sin which goes back to our first father, Adam. And then finally, we're going to talk about the virgin birth in that this is the means by which the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and by being the Son of God was able to accomplish the salvation of all mankind. But before we get into those three whys, I do want to take a minute to talk about the what. Uh, that we believe in the virgin birth. Uh, there are many people who believe that this doctrine, which has been so here, dearly held by Christians, um, there are even those who purport to be Christians who believe that the virgin birth is the kind of belief that people might be able to believe of old, back when people were credulous and didn't know about science. But now that we are so much more enlightened, well, certainly this can be a doctrine which can be forgotten. Now, I just have simply uh, two objections to this perspective for you to consider. The first objection is that people have been well aware of the normal means by which babies have been made throughout the years. They have no doubts as to how the normal process this takes place. In fact, they probably were, in some senses, more aware of these biological realities than we are in our more enlightened age, so-called more enlightened age. But second of all, not only were they fully aware about how this works, but also we have the testimony in the Gospel of Matthew of one that can surely be trusted, because if he could be convinced, then let us not doubt. And by this, I mean Joseph. I love the variety we get in the Gospels. Some people look at the fact that there are four Gospels talking about Jesus' birth and say, why in the world would you need four of these? Why couldn't one be conclusive? But I love how we get the different perspectives in the Gospels. Luke, when it comes to the birth of Jesus, we get the perspective of Mary. And I believe that actually Luke interviewed Mary. He says that he interviewed the eyewitnesses. I have no reason to believe that Mary still wasn't alive at this time. They could have interviewed Mary. I love the kinds of details that we get there, the kinds of details you'd expect from a mother. This, these are the clothes that we wrapped him in, right? This is the outfit we put him in, these swaddling clothes. This is the cradle we laid him in. The manger. 
You know, I don't remember any of those kinds of details. I don't remember the crib. I don't remember the clothes. But boy, I remember making sure all these other details were taken care of. Like, okay, what's the route we're going to take to get to the hospital? Do we have space lined up? And these are the kinds of details that we find in Matthew as we get Joseph's perspective. Right? Joseph, who would have been concerned about such things as the safety of Mary and the child Jesus. And so he's worried about this. Where are they going to go in order to keep this little family safe? These sorts of details. And finally, the detail where he himself has to be convinced of the virgin birth. You know, she comes to be with a child and he knows it's not his. So being a reasonable person, like most people, you would assume that she had been with another man. Being a righteous man, he seeks not to lay her to great shame, but instead seeks to put her away quietly and privately. But in this revelation from an angel in a dream, he himself has preached this word that this child is a child of the Heavenly Father. The Heavenly Father is the father of this baby, of the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph was convinced. Let us not doubt. He who had every reason to be convinced that this was from another man, yet himself believed. Let us not think we are more enlightened than him. So we believe that he was born of the Virgin Mary. We are confident of the what, but what about the why? In our Old Testament lesson, we have these words. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Throughout the Old Testament, we have very big signs regarding the future of God's servants in the circumstances of miraculous births. Miraculous birth stories accompany many of God's greatest servants in the Old Testament. So, for example, we have the miraculous birth of Isaac. Isaac, whose mother was Sarah and Abraham. Two individuals well advanced in age. Sarah, the age of 90. When Sarah heard this news that she would bear Isaac from the tents as she was Listening between the angel of the Lord and Abraham as they discussed over the meal, she laughed. Indeed, what a laughing matter this would be that a nine-year-old woman would bear a child. Yet it was God who had the last laugh. For indeed, Abraham and Sarah conceived. And so they had Isaac, which means laughter. Love that detail. And by this means, this servant of the Lord came about through whom Abraham's generations would continue. That this promise that God had made to Abraham to make him a great nation, a nation from whom kings would arise to bless all the peoples of the earth, this would finally be fulfilled in the birth of the Christ child. 
The birth of Moses, this could be considered miraculous as well. Moses, who was supposed to be cast into the Nile River in order to be eaten by alligators and hippopotamuses and, or maybe die of exposure, Moses instead is preserved in this little ark that his mother fashions and seals with pitch and lays him in the Nile River to be discovered by none other than the daughter of Pharaoh himself to be brought up in the household of the same man who sought to kill him. That's nothing less than a miracle. But the servant of God was born in this miraculous way so he could then lead the people of Israel out of their slavery in Egypt. Uh, the birth of Samuel. Hannah, you'll remember, was, was stricken with childlessness and this weighed upon her soul. She so dearly desired a child that she was muttering these prayers upon her lips at the tabernacle of God so that Eli thought she was drunk. But then when he heard the truth of the fact that she was praying to the Lord, God blessed her. And sure enough, in time, she gave birth to Samuel, this incredible servant of the Lord this one who was dedicated to the service of God and the service of his people. This too, miraculous birth. John the Baptist, this final prophet of the Old Testament, we could say, who was such an incredible servant of the Lord, whereas the prophets of old could allude to the becoming Messiah through various figures of speech and images. John the Baptist instead could point to the very man and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His birth to a miracle. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they too, well advanced in years. But here's the thing about all these miraculous births of the Old Testament, which were signs that this individual who had this miraculous birth was a servant of God. Every single one of these births, while they were miraculous, still occurred in the way that all births have. By means of the coming together of a man and a woman. But in the birth of the Christ child, the fact that we have a virgin birth, we have a miracle of miracles, we have a sign of signs, we see here that God is doing a new thing, an unprecedented thing, so that in Christ we have a servant of servants, we have the final prophet, we have the final priest, we have the final and full king. These various prophets of old, for example, the prophet Samuel had this miraculous birth, they spoke the word of God. This was the role of the prophet, to speak the word of God. But because Jesus Christ was born of the virgin with the Father, the heavenly Father as his Father, we know that he is the word of God. The full revelation of God. And so therefore, he is the full and final prophet. No other prophet to arise. No further revelation. Throughout the Old Testament, God ruled over his people not only by means of the prophets, but also by 
the priests. The priests were the intermediaries. By means of the priests, prayers were offered up to God. By means of the priests, sacrifices were offered unto the forgiveness and the purification of sins and transgressions. By means of the priests, the word of God was supposed to be taught and preached to the people. But in the Christ child, we have the full and final priest. For Jesus is the ultimate intermediary between God and man because he is God and man. In the Old Testament, God ruled over his people by means of kings. And still, we have in Christ the King of kings and the Lord of lords who came not to rule just over our people, but over all peoples and who indeed is king of the universe. For it is by means of the word of God that all things are created, by means of the word of God that all things continue to be sustained, and by means of the word of God that all things were redeemed, and by means of that same word that in the time to come all things will be renewed. And even while he reigns in a mysterious way, now yet we know the time will come when he will reign in power and might and glory so that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus was born of the Virgin as a sign of signs to show that he was the servant of servants, the ultimate prophet, the ultimate priest, the ultimate king, that he is the answer to the question of John the Baptist. Are you the one to come or shall we look to another? The virgin birth testifies that he is the one who was to come. And he came unto, indeed, our salvation. But in order to save us, it was necessary that he himself not need salvation. And the virgin birth, through the virgin birth, Jesus was cut off from the chain of sin patrilineal chain of sin which goes through our fathers all the way to our first earthly father Adam Romans chapter 5 verse 12 and following therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin and so death spread to all men because all sinned for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given but sin is not counted where there is no law Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. St. Paul here is indicating to us is that through our fathers going back to our original father, Adam, we have inherited a sin nature. Uh, we call this various words uh, in the church, original sin, concupiscence, say that five times fast. Basically what this means is that St. Paul says in other places, the sinful mind is hostile to God. We have all inherited this hostility from the first father, Adam. Because of this, not only have we inherited the disposition to sin, but that disposition to sin has also worked itself out in actual sins, and therefore we stand condemned. 
But because Jesus does not have Adam as his father, but rather has the heavenly father as his father, he is the second Adam. And therefore, he is cut off from this chain of sin. He had no sin. He had no sin nature. He had not this internal rebellion against the Father, but instead he was of one mind and one heart with the Father. And therefore, he could be our Savior. This brings us to the third and final point. That through the virgin birth, we see that he was able to be our Savior because his one act of atonement was so infinitely worthy. St. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 5, verse 18 and following, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. What St. Paul is saying here is that because Jesus had God as his Father, therefore his act of righteousness in his crucifixion was so overabundantly worthy that it has paid the atonement dues for the sins of every individual who has ever lived and every individual who will ever live. That's shocking. It's the truth that all are justified by means of the blood of Christ our Lord. And not all receive this gift because not all have faith, and yet that gift is freely and abundantly offered. And so here is the promise of the virgin birth. The promise is this, is that we can confidently and boldly proclaim to all who will hear it that before the Father in heaven, they are not sinners, but rather they are righteous people. They are not condemned, but rather justified. They indeed have been made just and right before the judgment seat of God. And God's promise is this, that wherever that gospel message is proclaimed of free forgiveness and salvation, the Holy Spirit is there. The spirit of sonship. This is the same spirit by whom Jesus Christ was conceived as the Son of God. And it is that same spirit who makes those who hear the gospel and believe it to become children of God as well. Children not by nature as the, as the Son of God, as Jesus Christ, but rather children by adoption. And so this Christmas time, let us gladly embrace the doctrine of the virgin birth. Hold it as one of the most precious doctrines, a doctrine by which we indeed know that Jesus was the one to come, the true Messiah. This doctrine by which we can have confidence that he can be our Savior by being broken off from the chain of sin, going back to Adam. 
that we would be confident that in the death of Jesus, all our sins atone for, and not only ours, but also our neighbors. In that glad confidence, let us gladly proclaim the truth that all have been justified by means of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, so that we might be agents by whom the Spirit works, so that hearts may be lifted up to faith in Christ, and through that faith, further children of God made by means of their adoption by grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. And please rise for the offertory.